0: So, uh, this is a first for you guys, but not a first for me, although I have not uh, spoken or taught in many years. Um, but I have a word that I believe that God has given me. Um, I want to tell you just a little bit about what's coming here. We're going to kind of take a little trip. We're going to start out in uh, uh, First Chronicles chapter 12. We're going to take a couple of stops in Ephesians. Then we're going to go to Revelations, uh, which is always uh, kind of interesting for those of you who spent any time there. And then we're going to end up with a very in a very popular scripture in Second uh, Chronicles 714. But hopefully with a slightly different emphasis than maybe you've heard before. So... um, so let's go. Uh, First Chronicles, chapter 12, uh, verse 23. Let me set some background for you here on this. Um, King Saul is dead. Jonathan is dead. The Philistines have killed both of them and their household. Saul killed himself, actually. Um, and there is now civil war brewing on who is going to take over. Uh, for Saul, is it going to be the house of Saul retains control of the throne or is it going to be David? So here in First Chronicles 12:23, 23, uh, it begins to describe the men who came over to David at Hebron. These men who came over came over from the house of Saul and so began to build a mighty army. I'm going to read down through this, but we're going to stop here on one small verse that is easily passed over. Now, these are the numbers of the divisions equipped for war who came to David at Hebron to turn the kingdom of Saul to him, according to the word of the Lord. The sons of Judah, who bore shield and spear, were sixty eight hundred equipped for war of the sons of Simeon, mighty men of valor for war. Seventy one hundred of the sons of Levi, forty six hundred. Now, Jehodia was the leader of the house of Aaron and with him were thirty seven hundred. And also Zadok, a young man, mighty of valor and of his father's house, twenty two captains and of the sons of Benjamin, Saul's kinsmen, three thousand. For until now, the greatest part of them had kept their allegiance to the house of Saul. And of the sons of Ephraim, 20,800 mighty men of valor, famous men in their father's house. And of of the half tribe of Manasseh, 18,000 who were designated by name to come and make David king. And the sons of Issachar, men who understood the times with knowledge of what Israel should do. This is a very easily passed over verse. I have found that I have pressed more and more into God, seeking after him, seeking after his word. He keeps showing me little nuggets in the scripture that for years I have passed over, not thought much about. But the sons of Issachar were men who understood the momentous time in which they were in. They recognized that God was on the move. Then all of these men from the house of Saul, they changed their allegiance. They heard God, they came over. And the sons of Issachar knew the times they were in. So the question is, do we know the times we are in? Do we know what's going on? in the world here today? Do we know what God is doing? Are we just hunkering down? Is this just a series of unfortunate events, so to speak, that we are just trying to get ourselves through, hoping that next month, uh, next year is better and we can go back to our lives? Um, No, we're not. We're not going back. How many people Looking at life the way that it is now, how many of us can look and say, I expect life to be different 30 days from now. I expect life to be different six months from now. I don't expect it to be different. This is not going away. (laughs) In April, I started pressing into God in a more focused way. And God began to speak to me and he gave me some words, words that I have uh, uh, put out there online. And some of you have had the opportunity to read them, know what that's about. But I was seeking God, trying to figure out, trying to hear him on what is the time we're in? What is going on here, God? What are you doing? And God said, we're in the time of the churches in Revelations. God spoke to me. He said, we're in the time of the churches. He wants us to know his will. He wants us to know what's going on. So many times as I have gone through life and encountered situations, it's like, how do I hear your will, God? How do I know what you're doing? You know, and questions such as, who can know the will of God? You know, well... Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 1, 8 through 10. In all wisdom and insight, he made known to us the mystery of his will. According to the kind intention which he purposed in him. And then on to Ephesians 3, 17 and 18. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able... To comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the length, the height, and the depth. Now, what is the breadth, the length, and the height, and the depth? It is the complete understanding of what God is doing. He is hiding nothing from us. He wants us to know exactly what is going on. Exactly. So... God spoke to me and he said, we're entering into a time of woes. And I thought, oh, well, that's interesting because that's got some uh, obvious reference to revelations and some things like that. But I don't want to say where we are along in some sort of eschatology of revelations because I don't know anybody who's figured that out. (laughs) Least of all me. (laughs) So, but uh, God is saying, pay attention, because it's woes, plural. And at the time that I received this word, the only thing that was going on was the virus, COVID-19. Absolutely nothing else of significance on that level was going on. But Let me read a little bit about you and remind you of things that we all know that have occurred just in the last, that was four months ago. Only four months ago. Since then, federal and state governments mandate the mass quarantine of the population. Not just the sick, as has always been done in the past, but the healthy. Complete lockdown, mass quarantines of the population. Millions of people instantly become unemployed overnight. Millions of people. Thousands of businesses close their doors, never to reopen again. They're gone. Financial markets, uh, for those who watch that, were sent reeling, losing 10% of their value in one day. One single day. Churches shuttered everywhere, including Franklin Covenant. We closed our doors. And we did so, and I believe so, we did so prudently. We were told at the beginning that we needed two weeks. You know, do you remember that? Remember being told we needed two weeks? This has been one long two weeks. (laughs) You know, but but we closed our doors because it seemed prudent, doable. Sure, we can can go with that. Um, But where have we gone since then? Home churches are banned from meeting in some states now. Worship by singing. What we just did is illegal in California what we just did is illegal churches all across this country raided on sunday mornings or whenever they meet and being harassed 4 months ago did you ever think that you would see this in this short of a time i always thought yeah that that's that's, that's that's coming but that's that's way down the road this is america we don't we you know we know that and then boom God said, I'm in charge. You're not. I'm in charge. As many as 160,000 U.S. deaths have been reported from COVID-19. Now, you can quibble with me on whether or not you think those numbers are manipulated and maybe they are. Well, actually, I know they are in some cases recorded wrong, recorded uh, in manipulated ways, uh, usually For political or financial purposes. But I'll tell you, no matter where your number ends up, it's a big pile of people. You know, it's a big pile of people that have died. (coughs) Okay, this is just the virus. Then, does anybody here not know the name of George Floyd? I doubt it. Probably the most famous black man in America right now. Protests. Riots. Riots. Major cities actually burning, on fire. I don't know how many of you have followed what's going on in Portland. They are approaching like 75 continuous days of riot. That is what's going on in this nation. We've got social upheaval, calls to defund the police, complete breakdown of social order. The complete division of society into many different camps. Not just political right versus political left, but into many different camps. And this is going on in the church as well. This is going on in the church, okay? If you don't think that we have our camps on that, I'm just going to use a little prop here. And you can tell me which camp you're in. Okay? You know what this is? Anybody not know what this is? Does anybody not know there's a big war in the church about this? A war in the church about this. Division in the church. We have political groups completely exploiting the situation to advance their agendas. Now, I'm not talking right or left here because I think it's happening on on all sides. But the complete exploitation to the to the point where I cannot trust and maybe you too I cannot trust a single thing that I hear about what is going on with the virus with the riots in the political realm who's good who's evil who's who's what okay I don't say all of this to take sides in any of it this is just what's happened in four months four months so We have schools closed. We have public gatherings banned. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've noticed. People are angry everywhere. Everywhere you go, people are angry. Fighting, dividing, even on small issues. If you don't agree with me, and I'm speaking metaphorically here, if you don't agree with me, I hate you. And I don't care how small the point is. You know? That's what what our society currently is. We have a government in complete disarray and totally incompetent to deal with any of these situations. We're not making progress on any of them. In fact, every day I get up, it's worse than the day before. So this is what's going on in America. This is a descriptor of the season that we are in. As I said, there's no hunker down. This is getting worse. So what is going on? Like I said, is this just a series of bad events? Do we just need to wait it out? Well, the answer to that is clearly no. This is not just a series of bad events. We're in a season of judgment. There is no reasonable way that I can look at this other than say that we are in judgment. Is it a revelations level of judgment that is occurring? I don't know. But we are definitely under judgment as other nations have come under judgment in the past. During judgment, what happens a lot of the times you see this in scripture during judgment, we get to enjoy the fruit of our sin. You know, a a sinful nation is now seeing the fruit of years and decades of sin going through. We have the sin of murder through abortion. We have the sin of racism that has occurred in this nation Throughout its entire history, that's coming to fruition. You can't rule out race as being a factor in this. Just go back to George Floyd. We know it is. Sexual exploitation, that has been going on. And God is dealing with that. And people are coming under judgment. You've got Jeffrey Epstein. You've got Harvey Weinstein. You've got Bill Cosby. You've got other people uh, that's going on. So what is going on here? We are under judgment as a nation, and not just as a nation, but as a church. We are under judgment. Let's go to Revelations. As I said, while I was praying, reading, Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, in Revelations, I asked, where are we? What is this judgment? And the Spirit clearly spoke and said, we are in the time of the churches. And I thought, oh, that's interesting. What does that really mean? Well, Revelations chapters 2 and 3. The letters of Jesus to the churches. And God began to speak to me and he said, I'm making corrections. I'm making adjustments. And the church is being called to repentance. And I thought, oh, okay. Well, this is kind of interesting. Um, I don't know, probably many of you have read this section of Revelations maybe several times. And mostly in the past when I've read it, it's been like, okay, these these people were having some real problems. And I can see some of these other problems have occurred. Um, but I just want to go down through this. I'm not going to read all of it. I'm going to pick out some particular things that I believe that God has shown me on this. First, I'm going to start at Revelations 3, uh, verse 19, because this is where the good news is. And I want to give you the good news before we go back. Okay? Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. This is Jesus speaking. Therefore, be zealous and repent. There's his, in, his to-do right there. His to-do is be zealous and repent. He is calling us to repentance. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and will dine with him and he with me. He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit down with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, in each of these ones that I'm going to read here, I I, I was just kind of going down through them and reading them, and I began to realize that we've got pieces of this in the church. We have pieces of almost every one of them. There is one church, I I forget the name of it, you guys probably know it. One church was simply called... To stand and hold fast. That Jesus did not make any corrections, but said, just stand and hold fast. There's bad things coming your way. But to the rest of them, we cannot leave ourselves out of what God is saying in there. And by ourselves, I mean the church in America, of which Franklin Covenant Church is part of. So, how do we stack up against the seven churches? Well, how about the Church of Ephesus? Ephesus. Revelations 2, verses 4 and 5. But I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Therefore, remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the deeds you did at first. You know, And that got me thinking back to the early days of my walk with God. I could not be deterred in any way. I was hot on his trail. I was after knowing God. And I wanted everything that he had for me. But I'm going to confess here. Somewhere along the way, I lost some of that excitement. I never lost my commitment to God. But I did lose some of that excitement. Maybe it was... Having children, families, you know, they take a lot of work, you know. A job, starting businesses, a lot of things that can take your attention. And so what that is actually called is losing your first love. When the focus starts to come off of him being the center of your life, then and other things move in, then you've lost that first love. And, you, and repentance is in order. How about the church at Pergamum? You have there some who hold the teaching of Balaam, who kept teaching Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat things, sacrificed to idols, and to commit acts of immorality. Now, I'm not going to talk specifically about us as Franklin Covenant Church on this, but in the perspective of the church in America, how many of us have seen the false teachings that has arisen in various parts of the church in America? Stuff that is unbelievable, you know. Um, as an extreme example, I remember reading a little while ago about a pastor of a church who said, it really doesn't matter if Jesus existed or not. That's is a pastor of a church that claims to be Christian. Okay, this is what the church in America has become. There there are churches that are teaching things out there that are so far off the mark and leading people astray. The church at Sardis, very similar. I know your deeds, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Wake up and strengthen the things that remain which were about to die. For I have not found your deeds completed in the sight of my God. I don't know how many of us have seen, and maybe even ourselves, gatherings that go through the motions, but there's really no life there. You know, they're keeping up a form, but there's really no life there. How about the church at Laodicea? This is the one that hits Closest for me. I know your deeds that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. I can't think of a better description of the church in America, as a whole. You know, um, what do we need God for? I have everything I need. I got a nice house. I got a nice car. I got a good wife. I got kids. I got great food to eat. When do I need to call on God? You know, yeah, I'm a Christian. I I, I believe in Him, but you know. It's not that big of a part of my life, you know, metaphorically speaking. This is the picture that God gave me of the church in America and the church that he is calling to repent. Repent. That is what God is doing in this season with the church in America. It's a reset for us. It's not just Wait this out and let's get back to our Sunday morning, do what we do and keep on doing it. Because God's not there anymore. God is calling for something different. So where do we go from here? How do we respond? Well, collective repentance. Collective prayer. Repentance for what we have let the church in America become. You know, we used to sing this song, John, years ago. I can only think of the lyric that was, uh, I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing that I made it. You know, I don't know how many of you remember that song. I don't recall us having sung it in a while. But that is where we're at. What have we allowed the church to become? Here in Franklin Covenant, we think, well, we're not so bad. You know, and maybe we're not, you know. Uh, well, we're part of the church in America. We are part of what is going on. We cannot escape and say that we have no sin, that none of this stuff is in, is in us, that we are the exception. You know, we are not the exception. We may not have all of this, but the church in America has all of it, everything that I've read in some place or another. Let's uh, let's go to Second Chronicles, chapter seven. Very uh, familiar scripture to a lot of us. A little bit of back background here on this. We're going to start out at verse eleven, but background here is Solomon had just finished building the temple for the Lord. And God moved in. He said, yes, okay, I'm here. And he starts to speak to uh, Solomon. So let's look at this verse 11. And we're going to go down through verse 14. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. If I shut up the heavens so there is no rain. Or if I command the locusts to devour the land. Or if I send pestilence among my people. You know, I've heard some comments recently that God would never... Do such things. Well, I'm here to tell you, the scripture says that God does. God sends pestilence. What is pestilence? It's a disease. You know, if if we're not dealing with pestilence right now. You know. He says, and then here's the one scripture everybody knows. And my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now, here's that's the good news. But there's some nuggets in here that get easily passed over. God is saying to Solomon, if my people, well, if we're going to appropriate this scripture from back in that time and use it as principle today, then who is that scripture referring to? If my people. The church. Absolutely right, Bob. The church. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray. I've heard this scripture and used it myself many times in reference to what America needs to do. That we need, as a nation, that we need to repent. And we do. I'm not taking away from that. As a nation, we need to. But this scripture here says it starts with us. It starts with us. We repent as the church for what we have allowed the church to become. Then, I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, that being our sin, as the collective church, and will heal their land. Heal their land comes after his people repent and seek his face. Now, It might sound kind of heavy, but you know what? There's some good news in here because that very last phrase is some really pretty good news. He's saying, if you do this, I will heal your land. I will heal America. I will heal the nations that repent. But it begins with us. We start with the church and we no longer put God off in a place like this while we pursue our lives down here. If we're not pursuing God, then God's over here. One principle that God showed me many, many years ago was you find what you seek. And there's a lot of people out there who say they seek truth, but they're not seeking truth they're they're seeking confirmation of what they already believe they're not seeking truth many people in their walk with jesus they seek jesus light they get jesus light you know jesus doesn't hate them they may be saved and on their way to heaven but they've got jesus light jesus isn't using them for much of anything they're just kind of sitting there waiting Waiting out their life to move on to glory, you know. There are people who seek after God's own heart. Guess what they find? They find God's own heart, you know. David was described, King David was described as a man after God's own heart. God, let that be me. (laughs) Let that be me, you know. And that is what God is calling his church to Seek His face. Seek His heart. Put Him first. The world does not need a church that just sits in their seats and wait for this to be over and move on. You know? Going back to California, just for a second here. Everybody knows what went on in California with all the churches being... Worship being shut down and churches being closed. Well, guess what happened? The churches got kicked out of their building. Guess what they did? They went to the beach. The beach is open. Thousands of people gathered on the beach and held a huge worship service in Nevada where casinos are allowed to open and churches are not. Guess what the church did? They went to the casino. (laughs) They went to the casino and held a worship service right smack in the middle of the casino. In Pennsylvania, churches are closed. Walmart's open. Guess what the church did? You kind of getting the drift here? The church went and had a worship service in the middle of Walmart. In the middle of Walmart. And I'm telling you, I'm thinking, did Satan close these churches or did God close these churches? <laughs> so that we would get out, get outside of ourselves and focus on him. Last night, I'll add this to the list. Does anybody know who uh, Sean Foix is? Yeah, Bethel. Huh? That's right. He came here many years ago. And and, uh, he he and his band. He is uh, now a uh, uh, a Bethel worship artist. He also ran for Congress in uh, uh, California this year. I don't think he made it past the primary, but he ran. But he's a worship leader, and you know what he did? Last night, he went to Portland, Oregon, the home, if there is a home, of the riots and the burning cities. And he went to Portland, and in the middle of Portland, he held a huge worship service. Right in the middle. Got right in there with him. So. Okay. So. I remember last fall. Um, Got to find my stuff here. Last fall. Um, Joe Ewing came. Is anybody, was anybody here for that? No? Okay. I expected a good conference, but I didn't expect to walk away with my jaw on the ground, which I actually did. Um, and I'm not going to go over that, but I'm going I'm to give you what was one of Joe's uh, final things that he said to Franklin Covenant Church in particular. And maybe you'll remember this. The curse is broken. The doors are open. God has spoken. This was just a short time before everything hit the fan. Hit the fan. I don't think that this word has expired. Right. You know, a lot of us sometimes when we approach uh, fellowship, we approach church with, well, what are the new and fresh songs this week? What's the new and fresh preaching this week? You know, and I often think that God's, God's not there. God has a message, and an overriding message. And this one is still in effect. God has his hand on Franklin Covenant Church to bring us forward. But you know, another thing that Joe said. He said, God can remove his anointing. God can put an anointing on you, but it is up to you to respond. You cannot sit here in these seats and wait for God to bring people in that are just magically going to appear out of nowhere. Really? I'm not sure. Then then what's the evangelist for? (laughs) You know, we don't need an evangelist if God is going to just Bring these people in out of nowhere. We're going to open our doors and people are going to discover us all on their own. That's not going to happen. I'm not exactly sure what we should do. But God is saying if we do not respond to him, he will remove the anointing that he has put on Franklin Covenant Church and he will give it to people who will respond. I am 100 percent convinced of that. So what do we do? We start with prayer and repentance. Repentance for the thing that we have made it or allowed it to become. We repent for us. We repent for us on an individual basis, on a, on a, on a fellowship basis, on a town basis, a community basis, on a national basis. We repent. and we, And we pray. And when we do that, I am convinced that then God will show us the next step on what to do. But until we get ourselves to the place where we are seeking his face and seeking after his heart, he's not going to show us a thing. People are not going to come in that door. In fact, more people may go out the door. You know, I don't know. So... um, I'd like to close today two things. Let's let this prayer begin today. Right now, right here. Let's either literally or figuratively get on our face before God and repent. The second thing is, is I believe this needs to happen on a very regular Occurring basis. So, and I've spoken with John about this. I didn't speak with you about it, Bob. But uh, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, Carolyn and I will be here. We are going to be here praying for this church, the collective church, nationwide, worldwide, and praying for our nation, praying for our leaders. We're going to be here. We invite you to join us. So, John, you want to come play a little? So. The microphones are, are open. This is, a, this is an open prayer time. This is not me praying. The microphones are open, but if you don't want to use a microphone, you just want to stand up where you are and make your voice heard, that's just fine. Because this part is probably not going to end up on the, on the uh, videos anyway, so. All right. Father, we just come before you. Right now, Father. Father, we have, uh, we have not always placed you first in our life. We have not always done what you have told us to do. We have not put ourselves in the position of doing what you have told us to do. We have sought after other things in our life. We have sought our security elsewhere. Father, Father, I just, Father, for myself, I want to repent of that. Father, I want to seek after you, after your heart, To seek the deep things of you. I do not want Jesus' light. Father, I want to know the heart of God. I want to be part of healing this land. Thank you, Lord. Blessed be your name, Father. Thank you for everything that you have done. Everything that you have given Thank you, Lord.